Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, welcome to episode 188 of the podcast for December 18th, 2013. My guest today probably requires no introduction to a lot of you in the audience, but he is Dan Jones. He's the founder and chairman of the Lean Enterprise Academy, which is based in the UK. Dan, of course, collaborated with uh, Jim Womack on uh, a number of books, including The Machine That Changed the World, Lean Thinking, and Lean Solutions. And he's, of course, been involved in publishing many other books through the LEA. Um, In the podcast today, we're going to be talking about Dan's reflections on 25 years since the term lean production was coined, uh, an effort he was involved in. We're going to talk about, you know, the kind of progress uh, since then, what are some of the challenges facing the lean community. And we're also going to touch on topics including lean in healthcare, lean in government, and the lean startup movement. So uh, it's great to have Dan here on the podcast finally. Um, you can go to leanblog.org slash 188 for show notes and, and links. And you can go to leanpodcast.org for all past episodes. Um, thanks for listening. I always appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to the podcast. And I hope you'll come back in 2014 for lots of new episodes. Well, Dan, hi. Thanks so much for being a guest on the podcast. Oh, thank you, Mark. Good to talk to you again. So as you know, people have been writing about recently, and there's been some stuff featured on um, the Lean Enterprise Institute website and some video of, of you and your colleagues talking about this. It's been 25 years now since the term lean production was coined or at least published. So I was wondering if you could share some of your reflections and thoughts um, on on that passing of 25 years and, and what comes to mind um, for you right now in terms of that that anniversary. Well, I think it was um, it was an important uh, step that we probably didn't appreciate how uh, how impactful it was going to be. Um, but coining the term lean certainly is something that um, was necessary to create a name for a an understanding of a system that we had uh, begun to understand at that point, but have filled in a lot more details on later. And a lean truly has uh, spread right across sectors. Uh, from retail through construction through financial services and now very actively in health and I predict in the future into government and education. So it's spread everywhere. Uh, how deep? How sustainable? That's that's a big question. How, how do you try to gauge uh, from from where you're sitting and from your travels around the world uh, how deeply lean is spreading? Let's say first off in in manufacturing has it become a new conventional wisdom for manufacturers? I mean, how, how do you see things, you know, these couple of decades later? I think everybody, uh, every significant manufacturer surviving in this uh, globalized age has some kind of lean program going. Uh, many of them are traditional programs. Uh, I've got people doing lean for me on the shop floor, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a very traditional way of approaching lean, and that, that's very, very widespread. Um not so widespread is the deep engagement of uh, senior leaders in actually leading the problem-solving capability development on the shop floor. Uh, that's happening now as people with lean experience off the shop floor and from line management are now rising to more senior positions. And there, I can think of several 
where not only top management is now getting it very seriously, but it's actually turning it into significant business results. And that, in the end, is, the, is what determines for me whether Lean is making a difference, is whether the few pioneers that really get it are delivering business results and everybody else is ultimately going to have to follow their example. So, I mean, people focus so much, of course, on on Toyota. Uh, maybe it's unfair to ask you to name names, but are, are there some other companies that, that you would put in that category that um, are really getting great results that are that are transforming their culture if, if people are looking for companies to, to read about? Well, I think um, in, in this country, our manufacturing base uh, was very, very heavily uh, squeezed by the, uh, by the approach of globalization. Uh, one of the companies that is really making very good progress is GKN. And uh, we featured a number of examples where they have begun to fundamentally rethink their global strategy based upon understanding of lean, moving away from long extended pipelines and supply chains from all around the world, uh, from focus factories everywhere to um, designing next generation product and production systems close to customers. So that, that's one example where it really has reached the strategic level. Uh, another example might be Tesco, who for many years were pioneering um, rapid replenishment retail uh, d- distribution in, in retail and growing as a consequence very fast. But uh, more recently, they've plateaued, and the the collective understanding of the lean uh, experiments that we did early on, um, that's sort of distilled a bit, and uh, so they've plateaued, and they're not they're not continuing to make the progress they were. So even though you know 10, 15 years of uh, good progress with lean, uh, it still needs sustaining. So um, what, what do you think needs to be done? in the next five years or the, the next 25 to, to figure out what really makes lean become part of a culture and an organization, what really makes things stick? I mean, what work still needs to be done? Well, I, I think uh, we still have some very important experiments to conduct to, uh, to really understand not only the difference between what Jim and I have called modern management and lean management, but also to understand the transformation path and distill lessons from the many, many, many experiments with different ways to approach the transformation process um, and understand how you begin to actually fundamentally change your management set of behaviors and uh, lead the problem solving and focus the problem solving on delivering results. Uh, a lot of lean has been done for lean's sake rather than focus on a business problem and focus on delivering results, both in terms of results for the business, but also in terms of learning and building capabilities to solve tomorrow's problems. So I think that if you think about the experiment that LEI is involved with GE, the importance of that is um, is that it is a real test for how the GE management system ultimately uh, can find uh, inspiration out of lean to fundamentally change what is the the archetypal modern management system that most other organizations have been following. So I think it's conducting more experiments because we don't know exactly, we know theoretically what we think works, but that's not always the same as what actually works. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of transformation experiments um, are underway and we've done little so far to 
to, in a sense, pull the lessons of those together and distill what actually does work and what doesn't work. And one dimension of that, of course, is a question about the role, the traditional role of consultants in um, awareness raising and spreading the message. They clearly play a very important role. But later on, in terms of building problem-solving capability, um, then you need a much more internally driven coaching style of management that isn't really anything like the traditional do-it-for-me consulting model. So I think us, our role as lean facilitators and helpers and champions and missionaries uh, is also going to have to change if we're going to help that process of deepening and focusing uh, lean efforts to deliver business results, because that's, in the end, the only thing that will last. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up this this point. I guess lean has been around long enough, and consultants have been trying to help people with it long enough that, you know, even though a lot of times we compare lean to uh, traditional approaches to management, lean's been around long enough now that, you know, as you said, there's a quote-unquote traditional way of, of trying to help implement lean. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you talk about the the different styles of consultants. I mean, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. One thing I see, not just from companies, from from healthcare organizations, is that they often don't have the patience, it seems, to want to conduct experiments, that you know, they, they want the answer, they want the roadmap and the pathway. Um, curious you know, to hear more of your thoughts yeah. on that. Well, and absolutely. We all want the answer, and we've all been there, and we've all made the mistake of jumping to the right solution. Uh, the solution we first thought of rather than going through the process of really understanding the problem and coming up with alternative countermeasures in order to conduct experiments. So we've all been there, and that's a natural uh, tendency, when you, particularly when you want to create uh, proof-of-concept experiments to demonstrate the validity of lean. But as you get into trying to sustain lean, it's a very different issue. There you're really talking about a line management capability, that needs to be learned through doing. And the doing does mean conducting experiments. And where we've done um, multiple experiments in a company, uh, in different sites and different locations, using slightly different techniques, that's been extraordinarily insightful. And, uh, you know, some have worked extremely well and some haven't. In some cases, that's due to personalities getting it or not getting it. But uh, it's also due to the work, to the you know the way that uh, PDCA is being used. Um, so I think it's very very it's a very very interesting and challenging uh, time for lean if we're going to turn lean from simply a new conventional wisdom into actually a fundamentally proven management system. Well, and. You mentioned GE, so let me use that as an opportunity to transition a little bit to some of the experiments that I heard about very recently that GE was conducting. Um, I was at the Lean Startup Conference in in San Francisco, and uh, Eric Reese, for one, I, you know, I think, kind of follows the, uh, the 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 similar themes that that you and Jim talk about of um, trying to help create a modern management system. I'm trying to move lean startup beyond being a few, you know, isolated methods and techniques and, and into this management system. But some of the experiments, you know, GE is, is a big, large manufacturer is conducting some experiments um, using the lean startup methodology in uh, product development realms, even around physical products. And I think that's a really interesting trend. So I'm curious to hear more generally um, before we talk about lean and other sectors. Um, some of your thoughts about um, the, the lean startup movement. 
Well, I, I'm very encouraged by the Lean Startup movement. I think uh, Eric's done a tremendous job in distilling a set of core principles that uh, articulate a holistic approach to building a startup from scratch. And uh, I, I commend him for that, and I like the energy with which he's done it. And it's inspired me to get involved in a in a startup, in fact, also with Eric, um, a startup called Elastra in the UK, um, which is uh, which is my experiment to uh, to actually see how this lean startup uh, thing works, and uh, it's not all as easy as you think, <laughs> and uh, there are a lot of hurdles to overcome. Nevertheless, um, the 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 commitment to experiment and rapid experimentation, and the commitment to the uh, essentially a PDCA cycle in developing that. And testing that in rapid increments, I think that's that's extremely powerful. But I have to say that's not the only way. If you look broad, more broadly at the Lean IT movement, uh, we've had a series of uh, Lean IT conferences in Paris over the last three years. And we had Toyota from Europe, uh, their IT director, making some very interesting comments about uh, the fact that they use actually different methods. They use, you know, traditional waterfall, they use agile, they use scrum, they use startup. In different places, they use different methods and for different types of problems, the different types of product uh, development situations. And um, I think that's very interesting that they're not saying this is the new answer. We've got to apply this to everything. Uh, this is another approach that in some, in many circumstances is very insightful but uh, but isn't something that uh, uniformly works for everything. Well, it seems like a familiar theme when you say this is, you know, um, more complicated in practice than it is um, in theory. It seems like there'll, there'll be some good learnings that come out of um, this experiment with the startup. And and, and real briefly, what what type of company can you talk? Just people might be curious what what Elastra uh, does. Elastra is basically. Um, it's a content management. It's a. It's a. Sorry. It's an. It's an online selling system for mid-sized retailers uh, who are using the Magento platform and uh, who are, you know, getting into online selling, but uh, with either a very creaky system of their own. Um, this is basically a service as a solution, and uh, it's uh, it's offering mid-sized retailers a solution, if you like. Uh, to the problem of running an online selling system. And we have a minimum viable product, and uh, there's uh, several sites already using it. So it's getting over that threshold of, uh, of the initial funding. Uh, we know the technology works, and we know that there's a demand out there. But uh, getting beyond the point where, you know, the retailers have confidence that the that Elastra is going to survive uh, at the same time as um, the investors uh, want to see a portfolio of customers before they'll invest. We're at that point. And that's a very typical startup point. But uh, the name is Elastra, E-L-A-S-T-E-R-A, if anybody wants to check us out. Well, good. It's good, you know, good to hear you're getting involved um, you know, in some new areas. Um, you've gotten signed up on Twitter recently, maybe a bit of an experiment, at uh, Daniel Jones Lean. Uh, we're happy to, to see you there. Um, I did throw out there, and you, you may have seen, um, you know, I asked people if they had some questions for you. And, and on this question of, of product development, 
and, and different approaches to that. There was a, a question that came in from Lori. She was wondering your thoughts on why Toyota's product development system gets so little attention in North America. Um, if, if, if you agree with that statement or why you think that might be. Well, it's not just uh, in North America that product development has not uh, really caught the imagination. Um, and I've, I've concluded that basically it's because there are actually not an awful lot of organizations that have very large product development activities going on. And so the crowd that you're appealing to is actually quite small, or it used to be. And more recently, I think we've seen a, a lot of, uh, of those organizations do make real progress in terms of rethinking the way they develop not only products, but also software. And I think the convergence of, um, of experience there and the convergence of that with the lean startup movement is beginning to make this uh, a topic that a lot more people are interested in. But it is, um, it is, it, uh, it is a central part of lean is how do you apply lean in a project environment, um, either with a fairly known outcome or in the startup case, a completely unknown outcome. You don't even know whether customers want the product or service that you're designing. Uh, so I think there's a coalition, uh, co- a coalescence, if you like, of the software crowd, the product development crowd, and the startup crowd that is going to uh, going to make a lot of progress and interest a lot of people in the next few years. So let's shift directions a little bit and talk about something you've been involved in much longer, and, and that's the lean healthcare space in terms of what you've done to, to help promote lean healthcare and, and publishing books and being involved in, in the NHS. And I know you know visiting. Uh, here in North America, what, what are your thoughts about where lean healthcare stands? It's been maybe 10 years since you know, some organizations really got serious um, and, and people started talking about lean healthcare more broadly. Uh, where, where do you think things stand today in terms of the successes we've seen and some of the challenges that lay ahead? Well, I think it's been quite remarkable, really, uh, what's happened over the last 10 years. As you say, it's not just North America and the U.K., um, it's uh, Australia, it's uh, right across Europe, uh, it's Brazil, it's Turkey, it's, it's China, it's everywhere. And I think every, what's striking is the how, prob- how all organizations, whether they're public or private organizations, face basically the same kind of issues when they're talking about mm-hmm. improving the flow of patients through a complex set of activities. So the issues are very common and, um, there's a lot of now good examples, particularly in North America. Uh, there's a lot of experiments that failed that we can learn a great deal from. Uh, but my, my reading of where we're at is that we've, I think, got to the understanding that we need to build a problem-solving base. I think we got to the end point of understanding we need to focus efforts at the top using Hoshin. But where people struggle is linking the improvement activities together along the patient journey and diagnosing the system uh, as a system rather than a set of activities and um, learning where in the system you can have the biggest impact. And in healthcare, in most cases, that's at the back end of the system where things get gummed up, patients stay too long, and the whole um, discharge process is actually the bottleneck that's causing the cues right throughout the rest of the system. So I've focused my efforts on trying to understand how to link those pieces together along the value stream and um, create consciousness that there is a value stream, make it visible, 
link the improvement efforts, link capacity with demand and so on, because that was, I saw that as being the next step that uh, organizations would need after having grasped the improvement nettle and, uh, and just got involved and started doing Kaizen events and so on. So I'm curious to hear more. You, you talked about trying to you know, think about learnings from things that didn't go well or, or things that failed. What, what are your, what are some of your uh, key lessons learned that you would share with other organizations in terms of um, th- you know, things to try to avoid, lessons from others who, who may have struggled? Well, we've, uh, we've got a lot of um, critical lessons here in the UK because we've been trying to manage the entire country, the healthcare system for the entire country as one organization called the NHS. And um, that has proven over time to be impossible to do. It's just too large. And so what you get is uh, headquarters issuing, you know, initiative after initiative and um, instruction after instruction down the chain to the to the front line. And the front line is completely overloaded with initiatives and spend most of the time, you know, away from the shop floor, away from the patient flow, uh, answering these demands from headquarters. So we got what we call a black hole uh, of swallowing up what management time we've got. And uh, that uh, that dysfunction in the NHS is now causing us to begin to break the NHS up, introduce uh, a market, a commissioning side that buys care for patients, and uh, turning the providers loose to become self-managed organizations. And, of course, most of them are, are floundering because they've never had to do that before. So we've got tons and tons of what-not-to-do experiments uh, in the U.K. to learn from. And... Um, we're going through a very tough time where things are getting worse. And uh, and um, a lot of experts that I talk to agree that things are going to continue to get worse for a while until they get better, until we build a management capability in hospitals um, that is able to run provider organizations profitably. Um, so the NHS is full of those experiments, and I, but I think there are plenty of experiments elsewhere where people have tried different approaches to to lean, and uh, some of it's worked and some of it has not delivered results. And I, I think we we can learn a great deal from those experiments. Well, well, well thanks. And um, let's talk a little bit about some of uh, what might be some newer experiments with um, the application of lean thinking in government. I'm more familiar of you know, some things that are to be done here in the U.S. at, you know, city levels and um, state levels. There's, I think, a lot of lean or lean Six Sigma projects that happen at the federal government here in the U.S. Um, I'm curious what you're seeing and what you've been talking about in terms of the potential or what's actually happening with lean in government. Well, in, uh, the most inspiring thing I've seen recently on that score uh, was in trying to find a Canadian example for my uh, talk at uh, AME in Toronto. And I visited Saskatchewan and discovered uh, a healthcare system for a million people, which is a really quite small population, um, inspired by Virginia Mason. Um, the hospital CEO now become the top civil servant, the deputy, uh, deputy uh, minister for education, for health. Uh, spreading a Hoshin process right across the province and now being promoted to Minister of Education and Minister of Lean across government, would you believe? Mm-hmm. And so in justice, in social services, in economic development, 
um, lean and Hoshin and uh, frontline experiments are, are, are proceeding apace at really quite an extraordinary level. I was really inspired by two things. One, um, in the Premier's office, actually standing in front of a Hoshin uh, for the whole of Saskatchewan government. Uh, not focused on individual departments, but focused on critical citizen groups that need uh, that need help. And then the whole Hoshin was geared to understanding the contribution that different ministries were going to make into achieving these objectives. And that's at the top level was very impressive. First thing I've, I've ever seen that. But what was equally impressive was down at the city level, um, setting up crisis teams that brought together people from justice, from health, from education, from social services, uh, and several other departments on a, I think, a daily or twice daily basis to actually deal in real time with issues that come up with critical groups in society that often, you know, 5% of the population accounts for most of the hospital admissions or most of the brushes with justice, uh, most of the problems at school and so on but actually is able to mobilize and and synchronize the support from different agencies to address a critical need in a, in a community. And I've seen some of those experiments also in the UK. And uh, I think it's not – leaning government is partly, yes, about uh, transaction processing and better service delivery and so on. But I think the really interesting part is where we get right to the front line, to the citizens – and we understand how we can organize to bring those services together to address critical uh, needs of critical groups in society and change lives. And uh, indeed, that local council in the UK in Solihull, which is about the same population as Saskatchewan, is doing just that. They're talking about uh, changing lives and changing the health of communities by focused efforts around initiatives and citizen groups. And that's, uh, that's an interesting thing for me because um, the challenge there is to move out of our functional pyramids and our departmental silos uh, to actually mobilize and make a difference to citizens uh, right down the front line. So I think that's where Lean is going to actually um, provide a lot of inspiration is where it actually makes a difference in local communities, not, uh, you know, right up in in, in – in major government departments, which um, I've, we've had a lot of those experiments in the UK as well. I've been involved in some. Uh, central government, yeah, it's fine. It's interesting and necessary. But actually, the fun bit is down right next to the citizens. Mm-hmm. Well, and you, you mentioned Saskatchewan. And, and for people who um, are frequent listeners to the podcast, uh, Dan Florizone, um, who, who yes. Dan mentioned here, uh, was my guest in podcast 180. Um, and, and I've met Dan and, um, I'm, I'm glad that you also, uh, ran across him because I've been really impressed with, uh, yeah, with, with his approach and, and a lot of it, you know, is, is drawn on his reading and, and studying of the work of, uh, of Dr. Deming in, in addition to, um, you know, I think there's obviously lineage, um, you know, from yeah. what Dr. Deming taught Toyota. So I, I like it when, when he's also, referencing his uh, management views. Well, I think uh, also uh, go and see, they've got some very good videos of the 3P exercises that Dan Florizone organized uh, to redesign the hospitals in Saskatchewan, three hospitals in Saskatchewan. Uh, They're some of the best videos about how to engage patients and and staff and patients in redesigning the facilities 
uh, around lean that I've seen. So um, I brought Dan uh, Florizone on stage with me in, in Toronto, and it had a big impact, had a big impact. People came up, manufacturing people largely, came up and said, oh, my goodness, thank goodness, there's hope in government. And uh, I had exactly the same reaction two weeks later at our summit in the UK uh, when Solihull made a similar kind of talk. My goodness, the Toyota guys thought this was fantastic. Uh, we're going to help, you know. So where there's energy like that, you know there's going to be movement. Well, yeah, yeah, I agree, and that's great. And uh, I will – I'll link to the article you wrote for the Lean Enterprise Institute on the Lean Post and I'll, I'll make sure there's links to uh, Dan's videos and links to other things that we talked about. If listeners want to go uh, to leanpodcast.org and find the, um, the, uh, the page for this episode and let people dig deeper. Um, I'll, of course, link to, uh, to Dan and the Lean Enterprise Academy. Um, and as we wrap up, Dan, maybe if you've got any um, kind of just final random thoughts that were on your mind, or if you want to talk about um, what you're looking forward to in uh, in 2014, um, maybe use that as a way of wrapping up. Okay, uh, there are two thing, two big challenges. Uh, one is I think Lean Startup gives us a handle to think about designing completely different business models, uh, particularly as the web changes industries like financial services and education and health. Um, we're going to fundamentally move away from the relics of mass production. And we're going to need a lot of experiments to design different ways of delivering those services in completely new ways. So I think that's that's really exciting, building new business models. And Lean Startup gives us the uh, the impetus to do that. And my final comment is that I think, you know, as, a, as an old practitioner of Lean, um, the challenge for the Lean movement, who've been largely talking to themselves – uh, has been um, that we're all growing older and uh, we need to actually recast lean in a different language and the language that will appeal to the younger generation that are just uh, coming into their working lives. Uh, and I don't really wanting to learn a complete system or buy into a philosophy. Uh, they want to know what works and what can make a difference to their lives. And so I think um, another experiment, which I'm definitely going to be involved in, particularly with Michael Ballet, is um, is exploring how we can reach that uh, much, much younger generation uh, so that we can uh, ignite the lean flames in that generation and keep the movement going on into the future. Well, it sounds like some exciting things ahead, and uh, I appreciate you taking time to chat here on the podcast, and um, I hope we can do it again sometime in the future. Well, it's really good to talk to you again, Mark. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm excited to announce the release of the audiobook version of my new book, The Mistakes That Make Us, Cultivating a Culture of Learning and Innovation. Listen and dive into powerful insights on fostering growth through mistakes. Whether you're a leader, entrepreneur, or just trying to get better at learning from mistakes, this audiobook is for you. Get it now on Audible, Amazon, and Apple Books. Visit mistakesbook.com for more info.